Welcome to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast that takes you freewheeling down the great internet rabbit hole of trivia. Each week we pick a starting point and then who knows where all the twists, turns and tangents will take us. But we'll be sure to unearth a treasure trove of frivolous facts that will be as fascinating as they are, well, useless. When One Thing Leads to Another is produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. Our theme music is by Justin Mitchell. This is episode four, University Challenge. Before we start this week's episode, we should explain that at the time of recording, the original question master of the TV programme University Challenge, Bamba Gascoigne, was alive and well. So we refer to him in the present tense. However, a few days later, dear old Bamba unfortunately passed away. Now don't worry, all will become clear. But in the meantime, here's your starter for 10. So I'd like to share the little, maybe slightly embarrassing for me story when the other night we were doing our usual Monday night quiz night routine. Classic. Where we were watching University Challenge followed by Only Connect. That's middle age for you, baby. Yeah, it's what you, you kids have got to look forward to. And you asked me if I thought the original question master on University Challenge, Bamba Gascoigne, was still alive. I remember posing that as a question. And I, I think I actually laughed in your face. You did, I remember. Because I thought it. that was a ridiculous question because he was quite clearly dead and had most probably died at least 20 years ago. And then, of course, we Googled it and, of course, Bamba Gascoigne is uh, very much alive and well and living in Richmond at the grand old age of 88. And that is where today's rabbit hole begins. Okay. I didn't even have to dig very deep before I found a nugget of interest in the house Bamba inherited when his grandaunt Mary Innes Kerr, Duchess of Roxburgh, Blimey. died Blimey. in 2014. Oh, yeah, he's from Goodstock. I was going to say, that is, I mean, how? give me that name again. How posh do you want to be? Yeah, Mary Innes Kerr, Duchess of Roxburgh. She died in 2014. Right. And she mm. owned a house called West Horsley Place, and it's a grade one listed building just east of Guildford in Surrey. Okay. And she left the house to Bamba Gascoigne. Good for for Bamba Gascoigne. Yeah, and he's since transferred the ownership of the house to the West Horsley Place Trust, which holds guided tours and open days and allows the house to be used for filming, amongst other things. In fact... Okay, I feel a fact coming in. If you watch the BBC comedy Ghosts, you'll know the house very well. Because that button house is Bamba Gascoigne's pile of bricks. Well, how about that? I have found out that when he was a student at university, Bamba wrote a college review in his second year, which was seen by the British theatre producer Michael Codron. Now, he liked it enough to put it on The West End as a musical called, check this out, Share My Lettuce. (laughs) (laughs) Share my lettuce? Yeah, share my lettuce. And this was in 1957. And what is more, Maggie Smith and Kenneth Williams starred in it. (laughs) Matron. Ghosts. So I thought we'll go down a little tangent of ghosts. If If you're not sure of the premise of ghosts, it's set in crumbling country mansion Button House, where the ghosts of people who've died there over 
the centuries reside together for eternity and their lives or, or rather their afterlives are forever changed when a young couple unexpectedly inherit the derelict house and they move in. And one of the characters from that show, one of the ghosts, is yeah. trouserless Tory MP, uh, yes. Julian Fawcett. Yeah, he does that well. Who died while having sex with a fellow <laughs> MP at a fundraiser at the house in 1993. <laughs> yeah. And he was in death as he was in life, as he reminisces at one point about how he was studying at Cambridge in July 1969 during the first Apollo moon landing. And he missed it because he was having a moon landing of his own, <laughs> which apparently is a threesome. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. We Simon, digress. Simon Farnaby. He plays who that. Plays, yeah. uh, he, who is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, he's He also funny. plays um, the character in um, The Detectorist, doesn't he? The Simon and Garfunkel duo. That's him. They're brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, did you know... Go on. He co-wrote Paddington 2. I, wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, the film that made me bawl my eyes out. And I'm pretty sure you welled up as well. No, not um, a chance. He co-wrote it with Paul King. Sadly not. not. <laughs> no. no. Sadly not the Paul King of the mulleted 80s Coventry band King. So that's a shame. Now this, you're going to love this, what I'm going to yeah. tell you next. Go this on is really then. interesting. So Go I had then. a little look into Paddington 2. Yeah. Until May 2021, it had an approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes of 100%. Right. Based on 164 reviews. Okay. Now, do you know about the review system and how it works on Rotten Tomatoes? No, no, I don't. Okay. So the Rotten Tomatoes score is based on the opinions of hundreds of film and television critics. There's a team of curators. Oh, I thought it was the public. No. No, No. so did I. Okay. There's a team of curators whose job it is to read thousands of movie and TV reviews weekly and note down whether they are negative or positive. Right. Fresh or rotten. In 2021, Citizen Kane still had a 100% score after 80 years. But a negative review from 1941 was discovered. (laughs) So it was changed to 99%. So for a brief time, Paddington 2 was considered a better film than Citizen Kane. Wow. (laughs) But in May last year, Paddington 2 suffered the same fate. Oh, when an old negative review from 2017 was unearthed and that too dropped to 99%. Was, I wonder if that person was a relative of Orson Welles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Talking of Orson Welles, um, of course he famously won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for Citizen Kane in 1941. Fast forward nearly 30 years and Orson Welles is making another film called The Other Side of the Wind in 1970. However, the film hit the skids with finance and legal and all sorts of problems, so the film was never finished. And in fact, Orson Welles couldn't pay his cinematographer, a bloke called Carrie Graver. So, as payment, he gave Graver his Oscar that he'd won in 1941. Wow. And then decades later, Graver tried to sell that award. Of course. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Well, you would. I would. And finally, in 2011, he did sell the award for... Go on, how much do you reckon? I have absolutely no idea. Try 861,000 US dollars. Not too shabby. Just going back to Paddington 2, David Heyman. Have you heard of David Heyman? Uh, I can't say I have. Well, he produced 
Paddington too. Yeah. Um, uh, he also produced all the Harry Potter films. But more interestingly for me, he um, in 1968 <laughs> he was page boy Go at, on. at the wedding of his godmother. Go on. Diana Dawes. Hey, yeah. Diana Dawes. Diana Dawes. She was a, a huge presence in in uh, she our childhood. She certainly was. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you know her real name was Diana Fluck? How are you spelling that? F L U C K. Wow. Diana that? Fluck. And when she got into films, she changed her name well. to her maternal grandmother's maiden name. Right. And she later commented, "They asked me to change my name. I suppose they were afraid that if my real name, Diana Fluck, was up in lights and one of the lights blew." <laughs> which I thought was funny. So she made many films, of course. Famously. One of which was called Lady Godiva Rides Again. Right. And the film was made in 1951. Okay. And has uncredited appearances from two interesting people. Go on. First. Go on. Joan Collins. Right. Right. It's nice. interesting, isn't it? And the second, Ruth Ellis. Ruth Ellis. Oh. Now, do you know no. who Ruth Ellis well, was? Well, Ruth Ellis was the, the woman, woman. woman to be hung. Yep. Um, and because she murdered yep. someone, and I, you, the bullet holes, am I getting this right? The bullet holes are still visible in the pub in Hampstead. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. Ruth Ellis, yes. So she was the last woman to be hanged in the UK in 1955. On the 10th of April 1955, at the age of 28, she shot and killed her lover, David Blakely, outside the Magdala pub in Hampstead. Yeah. And was immediately arrested by an off duty policeman. And she was hanged three months later on the 13th of July. She worked on oh. this film, Lady Godiva Rides Again, in 1951 with Diana Dawes, and they became friends. Oh, that's, that's, that's some great facts. Yeah. Right, talking of Diana Dawes, mm -hmm. I have found an absolute gem about her on the internet. Ooh. Um, in her later life, she confided in her son Mark that she had scrawled away two million quid in various bank accounts under false names so as to swerve paying any income tax. Naughty girl. And she gave him a piece of paper on which was written the details of said bank accounts mm. so that he could access the money should she ever die. Mm -hmm. But she had thrown a spanner in the works because she had written the details as a complex code. Ooh. Yeah, apparently she loved puzzles and riddles and the like, right? Don't we all? Um, and therefore the details were indecipherable. Oh. So when she did eventually die, her son Mark went to a code-breaking specialist company. I bet he did. And they were finally able to decode the bank account details. Woo. However, these details only gave the surnames and geographical locations of the bank accounts, which was not enough information for him to access the money. And it came to light that Diana Dawes had given the rest of the bank details, presumably sort codes and account numbers mm. and all the rest of it, again as a complex code to her then-husband, Alan Lake. Bloody hell, that's very complicated. Yeah, but he was so distraught at her death he committed suicide oh. soon afterwards. What? And this piece of paper containing the codes has never been found. <laughs> so if Diana Dawes was telling the truth, there's a couple of million quid, probably a damn sight more actually now, sitting untouched in various bank accounts around the country. Wow. Staying with Diana Dawes. Right. 
you you probably knew that she was also known for hosting adult parties. Did you know uh, no, that? No, I don't think I was aware Which of that. were exactly what they sounded like. Okay. And um, former lover of Diana Dawes and party guest Bob Monkhouse yeah. said of the parties, Go on. the awkward part about an orgy is that afterwards you're not too sure who to thank. <laughs> Good old Bob. Good old Bob. Um, another thing that she did, which I'm sure you know, in fact, it was one of the last things she did, her last um, on-screen performances was in the Prince Charming video by Adam Ant. Yes. Here's an interesting fact. Go on. Did you know that in 2010, Go on. disgraced former TV darling Rolf Harris yeah. claimed on Danny Baker's radio show on BBC Five Live that an out-of-court settlement had been reached with a large sum of royalties received after a musicologist found that the song Prince Charming, right. it was musically identical to Harris's 1965 song, War Canoe. Wow. War canoe. <laughs> War canoe. War canoe. War canoe. War canoe can splash along, can sing the song we know we kept the. I'll, I'll briefly touch on this because I don't want to spend any more time than necessary on Harris. But um, Timey Kangaroo Downsport, obviously, it made the top 10 in it the UK in, in 1960. It did. Um, he offered the four Australian session musicians 10% of the royalties. Right. Um, but they turned it down thinking that the song would be a flop. Oh. Um, instead, they took a fixed fee of £7 each. Oh, well, yeah. they certainly live to regret that. And did you know that George Martin came along in 1963 and re-recorded Timey Kangaroo Down and made it a hit in the US? And that there's a recording of the Beatles singing backing vocals on it for their BBC TV show, From Us To You. Get out of town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that is incredible. Yeah. Um, someone else who recorded Timey Kangaroo Down Sport. Go on. Connie Francis. Connie Francis. Oh, come on, you must know Connie Francis. Oh. Lipstick on your collar. Stupid Cupid, stop picking on me. Oh, yeah, I know that tune. Connie oh, Francis. Okay. OK, so real name Connie Franconero. She was from an Italian Jewish family. Yeah. And she would record her hits in different languages, okay. which I think is a genius idea because then you have hits all over the world. Yeah. So she recorded her hits in 15 different languages. 15, So wow. she was hugely popular in Europe. Yeah, she that was a smart move. So she, she spoke anyway. She spoke Italian, Yiddish and Spanish. Yeah, OK. But all the other languages, she had to learn the lyrics phonetically. So okay. she had all these hits all over Europe. Oh, which that's interesting. It's a really great idea. It so that, idea. that got me on to... Yeah. Who else recorded their hits in different languages? Oh, well, I think Bowie's done a few, hasn't he? He famously has done, yes, um, The Beatles. The Beatles did. Because, yeah. of, you know, they spent, obviously, two years in Hamburg. Well, oh. they spent loads of time in Hamburg. Yeah. So they picked up plenty of the local dialect to make their songs sound vaguely authentic. Right. Um, I want to hold your hand. In German. In German. Can you Can you have a stab? Um, not without being massively racist. <laughs> <laughs> Come give me deine hand. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. She loves you. You could probably have a guess at that. Uh, for all, no, I don't know. Silibedik. Oh, Silibedik. Yeah. Ah. Um, Johnny Cash recorded Ring of Fire in Spanish, and it's been said that his accent was awful. Well, we go I read a quote from someone that said Johnny probably thought Espanol was a breed of dog. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, of course, David Bowie famously recorded Heroes in yes. German. Helden. Helden. 
And, well, did you know he was inspired to write the song by seeing Tony Visconti embracing his lover by the Berlin Wall? So the song tells oh. the story of two lovers, one from oh, East yes. Germany and one from West Germany. Yeah. And his performance on um, June the 6th, 1987 at the Reichstag has been considered a catalyst to the later fall of, of the Berlin, Berlin Wall, Wall, which seems a little bit, oh, come on now, you know, that's pushing it. But in fact, after his death in January 2016, mm -hmm. the German government thanked David Bowie for helping to bring down the wall. How about that? David Bowie won the Cold War. Thank you for listening to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. If we have floated your boat or pushed your buttons, then subscribe by visiting our website whenonethingleadstoanother.com. We've also added some links to things that we've discovered on this episode, so you too can lose yourself down the great internet rabbit hole of discovery. A massive thank you to Justin Mitchell for letting us use his music as our theme song. It's a track called Homo Erectus, taken from his fantastical album called The Garden of Earthly Delights, which is available to buy from bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Acast for hosting our podcast. Join us next week for another episode of When One Thing Leads to Another. Please note that all facts have been found on the internet and therefore we cannot vouch for their veracity.